Well, good morning, family. It is so good to be in the Lord's house this morning. So good to be with you. So good uh, to be with us well. All of you who are at home online this morning, uh, what a joy to have this morning to worship our Lord. As we begin a season of Advent, this is the first Sunday as we focus our attention on the coming of our Lord Jesus as he was uh, came incarnated as a baby uh, to come to be our Savior. I invite you this morning to take your Bibles out, and I hope you'll do that. Uh, take your Bible out and turn to the book of Luke. This month, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord, we're going to focus our studies in this Gospel of Luke. Each week, we plan to take a week and and look at um, well many of you may or may not know that in Luke's gospel in his account of the birth of Christ there are four songs that are here in the text and each week we're going to take one of those songs and make that the focus of our study uh, combined with the story that goes along with that song and uh, so that's our, that's our aim over this month of December uh, in our studies. And today we're here in Luke chapter 1, and um, beginning in verse 5 is our text. Most of you as well probably know that Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And when Malachi finished his book, his, the last of his writing, the very last words of Malachi tell about the coming, the prophecy of the coming of the prophet Elijah before the coming of the Lord. Malachi puts his pen down and that is the last word from God. For 400 years, as Luke's gospel opens, there have been no more prophets, no more word from God. And our text begins. He doesn't begin, though, where we might normally think. He doesn't begin here with Jesus Christ. The story is of Jesus and his incarnation, and then as the gospel goes on, all the, the life of Christ and his, his death and resurrection, but he doesn't begin with Jesus or Jesus' birth, but rather as Luke's gospel opens, he begins 15 months earlier, 15 months earlier with two someone else's, actually, other than Jesus, a couple, a very ordinary couple. Typically, in our world, ordinary people don't get much attention. But as I look here in the Gospels, as God unfolds the story of the incarnation of God becoming or taking on humanity and walking among us, living among us, tent, as, as John says, tabernacling or tenting among us. The story of the incarnation of Christ is, is all about being done through and among very ordinary people. Let's begin here in verse 5. 
In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were good people, godly people. He was a priest. They were the sort of people whom you couldn't think of anything bad to say about. Just a sweet old couple, exactly the kind of couple that you hope lives next door. That's the ones. Now, you would probably never hear any gripes, any griping from them, and I, because I doubt they were complainers. But Zechariah and Elizabeth had brokenness in their lives. They longed for children. And over the years, their dreams and hopes of having children and family had moved from those days of anticipation and wonder and hope, and then it moved to anxious longing and, and many tears of desperation. Then it moved to more and more disappointment, more painful longing, and finally a silent aching in their heart that by now, in their advanced years, Zechariah will later say, we're old. <laughs> by the way, that probably means that they were 60 or above somewhere, which I don't think is old anymore, but that's... Um, Back to the text here. Not that I'm looking to have kids, by the way. Just <laughs> they resigned themselves to the painful reality that their dreams would never be. They would continue to do then what they have always done. Honor God and make the best of what they had. Accepting their brokenness and going on with life. Verse 8. Now, while he, Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Ever since the time of King David, a thousand years before, the Jewish priests had been organized into 24 divisions. We read earlier he was of the division of Abijah. That was the eighth of the 24 divisions. Each division of priests would serve in the temple for one week, two times per year. So two times uh, per year they would serve in the temple for a total of two weeks. The other weeks of the year, they were to live back in their home cities. And most of the, the priests in, in the time of Zechariah, most of them had other jobs they were supposed to be supported by the tithes of the people back according to the Old Testament law, but that had long since evaporated for most of the priests for a variety of reasons. And they had other jobs. The fact that they lived in a rural community in the hill country of Judea, he may have had a small farm 
or small business, or he may have raised animals. But priests who were good and faithful, like Zechariah, would still be busy engaging themselves in teaching the people God's law. I know that he did that because it said that they, they obeyed the laws, they, they did everything that God said, and the Old Testament law back in Leviticus God spoke through Moses and told the priests, and you, Leviticus chapter 10, you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So Zechariah, being a faithful priest, was a man who studied the Word of God and taught the Word of God to others. Now, when priests served in the temple, those two weeks a year they were there, their duties, their specific duties, were selected by a lottery each time they went to serve. And our text tells us that this week, Zechariah was selected to go inside the temple, into the holy place, and there on the golden altar, the altar of incense, which stood just outside of the, that big curtain that separated, that big thick tall curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place, there in front of that curtain stood the altar of incense. Now most priests would never get this opportunity in their lifetime. But this time, Zachariah's name, he, he was selected. And if you were ever selected, those who had the opportunity never got another opportunity. You could only do it once. I can just imagine that Zachariah was wishing that the phone had been invented. How he would have liked to have run out and picked up a phone and called Liz back home. Liz, you'll never believe what just happened. I was selected. I get to go into the temple, into the holy place, and offer every morning and every evening the incense on the altar of incense, symbolizing the prayers of the people going up before God. Telling her would have to wait till the week was over and he went back home. It was the week of a lifetime, but this amazing week is about to get more amazing. Because Zechariah is in the holy place going about his duties and verse 10. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. There he is, I'm sure he's put the incense on the altar, and the, and the smoke is beginning to rise from the incense. And Zechariah is in prayer, probably standing with his hands lifted up and his eyes towards heaven, and maybe his eyes closed, but he suddenly feels the presence of someone else. And there, when he opens his eyes, right beside the altar, right in front of that great curtain, there's an angel. And he was terrified. He says, fear fell upon him. That's understandable. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. 
and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away many of the children of, excuse me, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Wow. For some 30 to 40 plus years, Zechariah has longed to hear the words, you're going to have a baby. He and Liz have been praying and praying and praying and praying that God would give them a child. Now here he is. In this week of a lifetime, serving in the holy place. And the angel of the Lord, or the angel Gabriel, appears to him there and says, Zechariah, God is answering your prayer. You're going to have a baby. And not just a baby, a son. And not just any son. You're going to have an extraordinary son. A son who's going to come and live in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And is going to turn the hearts of the people to God. He's going to make a people ready for Messiah. Have you ever had words just tumble out of your mouth? And as they are coming out, your mind is saying, I shouldn't say this. This is not smart. Have you ever been there? I'm sure that's exactly what Zachariah thought every day for the rest of his life as he reflected on this moment. Because the words that come out of his mouth are essentially this. Uh, how can I really be sure this will happen? And remember... He's standing in the holy place, having been praying for 40 years. And now an angel is there saying, it's going to happen. And his words are, how can I be sure? How, what a ridiculous question. But before we're too hard on Zachariah, brothers and sisters, if you're anything like me, how often do you pray Never really expecting that God is going to answer? That's what's happened with Zachariah here. God answers. He's going, well, I, I really can't be sure about this. I think we'd all be there. So God gives Zachariah lots of time to 
ponder his lack of faith. His lack of trust, his doubt in God here, and he's going to be unable to speak for the next nine months until his son will be born. Verse 21, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering if at his delay in the temple, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time for service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. Sure enough, Zechariah goes home, and just as promised, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. As she praises God, we get a glimpse for the first time from her lips of how she has felt through the years. How she has long felt disgraced, ashamed among the people. Because many people of that day, you see, thought that childlessness was some kind of judgment from God. It was viewed as a curse, probably the result of sin, they, they imagined, in your life. So she felt disgraced, ashamed. She had also felt abandoned by God, unnoticed, because she says here in verse 25, In the day he looked at me, she says, God took care of my problem. He met my need. He has, he has come to my aid says, God has finally looked at me, but until this point, she's felt God has just been ignoring her completely. Now, I'm going to pause the story for just a moment because I want to point out a few important lessons for you and me, some things that we need to note from the story this far, lessons to help us live with hope even in the midst of brokenness. Actually, in the course of this morning, we're going to see five reasons, five ways for us to live in hope in the midst of brokenness. The first is this. It's that God cares for his children. Elizabeth was wrong, by the way, because she thought God hadn't looked at her. But God had never abandoned her. He had never abandoned them. He never withheld his favor from them. God had always cared for her and for Elizabeth. They just didn't see it. They didn't see it because they didn't see God moving and God working in the way that they thought God ought to move and ought to work. God allowed them, as he will often allow us, to go through times of brokenness, times of shattered dreams, times of debilitating illness, times of deep hurts, deep wounds, times of great loss, times of loneliness, Times of suffering. There's all kinds of brokenness, aren't there? But please don't ever confuse brokenness 
with being abandoned by God. You see, God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Zechariah and Elizabeth were also right, however. Today we know the end of this, their story, but they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what God is going to do with their brokenness. Yet in their brokenness, I would say despite their brokenness, Zechariah and Elizabeth still faithfully followed God. They still kept going. They aimed to do whatever he desired. They loved him. As our text says back in verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. See, unfortunately, many of us at times, when we are in situations of brokenness, we rebel against God. We turn away from Him or we give up. What happens then is when, when we do that, we miss out on God's blessings because we allow our situation to get in the way of our relationship with God. Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't let that happen. As Psalm 103 verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So we may not understand all that God is doing in our life. But we need to believe that he is a loving father. And we need to trust that he will take care of us and work good for us as we faithfully follow him. We need to look past our circumstances and trust the God of our circumstances. Remembering that God is a loving father and we need to keep trusting him and following him. That's lesson number one. There's a second lesson here, and I see it down in verse 13, where Zechariah is there before that golden altar, and the angel comes, and the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. God hears and answers the prayers of his children. Don't give up praying because you haven't seen an answer to your prayer. If you're a child of God, if you're seeking to follow him, and you're praying and your prayers don't seem like they're going past the ceiling, don't give up because your prayers aren't getting stopped at the ceiling. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says... Proverbs 15, verse 29, the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. So we see that the, the scriptures call us, as Paul does the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, says, pray continually. James writes, you do not have because you do not ask. 
He goes on, he says, the effectual, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. We need to be faithful to prayer. Jesus taught the disciples, Luke chapter 18. He was talking with them one day and he, he told them a parable and then he said, he said, uh, he, he said, I told you these things so that you will be, um, so that you ought always to pray and never give up. Never quit praying, brothers and sisters, because God hears and answers prayer. So keep praying. Do you have an unbelieving spouse? Do you have a wayward son, wayward daughter? Is there illness? Is there brokenness in your life? Keep praying. Now, God may not answer your prayer the way you think he ought to. He might not answer it in the, in the time you think or in the way you think. He might not even answer it in a way you think you like right now. But he is a loving father. He will always answer our prayers. And ultimately, what, how he answers is always what is best. Trust him. There's a third lesson here, verse 20, where, it's, where it says, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that God, excuse me, until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I'm reading from the ESV, but if you read it in the NIV, the New American Standard, and uh, several other translations I can't think of off the top of my head, it says this, that we will be fulfilled in their proper time. That's indicated in that Greek. It's implied in that Greek word for the time, in their time. It's a, a set time, a determined time. See, there's a theme that's going all the way through this little story, and it's this. It's time. And the theme is that God has perfect timing. God has a plan. And he is working his plan perfectly and meticulously. And everything happens at the right time. Paul wrote to the Galatians, In the fullness of time, God sent his son. You see. And Zechariah and Elizabeth have waited for a long, long time for a child, but God has been waiting for the right time. We don't like to wait, do we? We want everything now. And when we do have to wait, we want to know all the details. We want to know exactly when so we can set our watch. We want to know exactly how it's going to happen. So we can... But God doesn't usually do things that way, does he? He doesn't usually tell us exactly when, and he doesn't tell us how, and he often makes us wait. Waiting is hard. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. God has perfect timing so be patient and wait on him. Be patient, wait on him. That's the third lesson. The fourth lesson I see for us in this story is that God works in and through our pain. In verse 13, it says, Elizabeth will, will bear you a son and you will call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And it says, for he will be great before the Lord. That is, in many ways, an understatement. 
they are going to give birth to a son who is going to grow to be a great man. A man of whom Jesus will later say, of all, uh, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. That's a pretty big statement coming from the lips of Jesus. John was to become a great man before the Lord. He would become a household name in Israel. John the baptizer. He would live out in the wilderness alone in the desert, wearing camel skin, camel hair for clothing, and living on a diet of locusts and wild honey. Rather an unusual man, we would all say. He would also be a fiery preacher of truth who would boldly challenge the religious hypocrites, hypocritical leaders of that day, who fearlessly confronted political leaders and who led great revivals among the people of Israel, turning the hearts of many to God. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth's path to parenthood was not normal. In fact, it was miraculous in their old age. But God used those years of waiting and those years of heartbreak to mature them and to prepare them for this very special role to raise this most unusual and unique and marvelous servant of God. My point is, brothers and sisters, during our times of brokenness, our difficulties, our struggles, our heartaches, God is often doing his greatest work in our life. We need to cling to that in tough times. But not only does he work through our brokenness for our own good, he often works through our pain to minister to others. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. Mary, we're going to look at her story next week, the mother of Jesus. Mary gets up right after she receives word from the angel that she's going to, as a virgin, give birth to a son, to Jesus, who will be the Messiah. First thing she does is she gets up and she takes a trip. She leaves her home uh, in Nazareth and makes the trip to the hill country in Judah, in Judah, to where Elizabeth lives. That is, by the way, about a 70-mile trip. For us in our cars, that's not a big deal nowadays. But when you're making that journey, probably on foot... She had some pretty big motivation to get up and walk 70 miles. What caused her to do that? See, I believe it's because she and Elizabeth, says she's a close relative, may have been a cousin, could have been an aunt. We don't know. She's a relative. But I think they had a, a close relationship, something that was bigger than just family 
And I'm only speculating because the scripture doesn't tell us, but my guess is that Elizabeth did what many childless women that I have known have done. And that is they have latched on to, sought out and latched on to young people, to other people's children, and they've latched on to them just as a friend, as a mentor, as a nurturer, and invested themselves in them. I think that's why the first thing that comes to Mary's mind is after this, and she hears that Elizabeth is pregnant, and she goes, I'm going to go see Elizabeth. Because there I'm going to find the wisdom and the compassion and the grace and the encouragement that I need. God had prepared Elizabeth very uniquely to be an encourager and a mentor to Mary. And here, given them above all these other things, this bond of miraculous births that they're going to have. And notice it says in verse 59, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Mary stays there for three months, right up until or maybe through the birth of John. We pick up the story again in verse 37. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, Well, none of your relatives is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came upon all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about all through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, Who or what then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was upon him. Finally, the baby was born, and the great celebration ensued. All the neighbors and family and friends have gathered outside the house, and when the word comes out, It's a boy! The party goes, you know, the musicians start playing, and everybody's singing and dancing and rejoicing. And then eight days later, as was the, the, the custom according to the Jewish law, they circumcised the baby, and they were to name him. And with... Not a little struggle with all the friends and family. John, or excuse me, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth did what the angel had told them. God said, and they named him John. And then Zacharias' voice returns, and he praises God. And among his first words are our first song in this story. Through the centuries, this song has been called Benedictus. Benedictus is a Latin word for blessed, and that's the first word of the song. Blessed, as it says in verse 67, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God of Israel. And the song goes on from verses 68 through 79. And it's in his song that I see the fifth lesson 
to help you and me live with hope in seasons of brokenness. And that is for you and me to remember that God's plans are always bigger than we imagine. The Holy Spirit moves Zechariah and he is filled with understanding. And now he celebrates in song as he understands what God is, a little of what God is beginning to do. He sees that God is going to be doing something big and marvelous and wonderful. Something that is bigger than Zechariah and Elizabeth. Something that is bigger than their son John. Something that is bigger even than the people of Israel. And something that is bigger than their nation. It's about God coming to us. To meet us. To meet mankind in our need. It's about forgiveness from sin. It's about light in a dark world. It's about a path to peace with God. This is all in Zechariah's song. And all of that will only be found in the one for whom John is going to prepare the way. It's only going to come through Jesus, the Messiah. That's this song. But instead of me reading the song, if you listen carefully, it might have just sounded something like this.
Sooner or later, we all find ourselves living in brokenness. But there is rest, there is strength, there is comfort, there is hope in God. God who cares for his children, God whose timing is perfect, God who hears our prayers, God who works in our pain. God who has greater plans for us than we could ever imagine. The key in each of those is trusting in God and living in relationship with Him, uh, trusting in Him as our Father and us as His children. Raises the question this morning Are you a child of God? That's exactly why God sent Jesus to allow us to be his children. John chapter 1, verse 12, it says this It says that to all who receive him, who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. See, this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he invites you right where you are to just say, yes, Lord, I believe you. I believe you sent Jesus to be my Savior, and I trust him. The Bible says that God will not turn you away. And all who come upon him and all who believe in him become children of God. That's the invitation this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this dear couple, Elizabeth and Zacharias, through whose example and through whose lives we have learned much this morning. May we find comfort and strength by trusting and resting in you in our times of brokenness. Most especially, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to be our Savior so that we might be reconciled to you to live as your children, to love you as Father. And now we come to this table here to remember in these visual elements the sacrifice which made all this possible 
His blood which atoned for our sin, His death which was the punishment that we deserved. It astounds us. We are humbled when we realize Your great love for us. We realize Your great sacrifice. May you be honored as we reflect, as we remember, and as we celebrate together in this service of communion. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.